It's August 15th, 2007, and you're listening to the NACOcast, coming to you from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. My name is Christopher Millard. Several weeks ago, I had the pleasure of participating as a faculty member at the National Orchestral Institute, just outside Washington, D.C. The NOI is a summer training orchestra for young orchestral players who gather for an intensive three-week experience. The participants, who hail from universities and conservatories from across the United States, are selected through a very rigorous audition process. The program, sponsored by the University of Maryland, aspires to provide its students with the tools necessary to take up an active and fulfilling role in the unfolding future of American orchestras. As a long-standing faculty member and supporter of Canada's National Youth Orchestra, I was particularly interested in participating in one of America's outstanding student orchestral programs. You know, summer is the time when dedicated orchestral students look for the more intensive performing and study environments offered by the NOI and other festivals. Long-standing institutions like the National Repertory Orchestra, the Aspen Festival, Tanglewood, and others provide focused attention for keen young musicians who can work unencumbered by the academic requirements and scattered schedules of their winter studies. Without these summer institutions, the quality of our professional orchestras would be immeasurably poorer. In fact, just about every successful candidate for a position in any professional orchestra has had his or her skills honed in a summer festival program. Here in Canada, the National Youth Orchestra has been making a vital contribution to the quality of our young talent for over 50 years. And in my own National Arts Centre Orchestra, a majority of our musicians are National Youth Orchestra alumni. Well, based on my recent observations, the National Orchestral Institute offers an unparalleled program that places it in the very top rank of training programs. Now in its 20th year, the NOI offers 80 musicians, three weeks of rehearsals, sectional coachings, individual lessons, and professional seminars that culminate in three performances with three different conductors. It draws on a distinguished faculty who each make four or five day visits and offer their input to the participants. I should also mention that the administrators of the National Orchestral Institute maintain a very holistic vision about the roles of young musicians. I was most impressed with the very extensive amount of work that they do in speaking to their participants about the realities of the professional orchestral world and about the many kinds of work that musicians are now expected to pursue. They give all their participants a well-thought-out package of information about general trends and concerns in our industry, how to deal with audition stress, how to prepare resumes, how to pursue and develop non-orchestral careers, and perhaps most importantly, how to capitalize on the tremendous skills acquired in music study and apply those skills if a prized orchestral position is not in the cards. The results of this short but wonderful program are really, really impressive. 
Let's take a few minutes right now and listen to a recording of their one of their recent offerings. This is from June 16th of this year. It's artistic director James Ross conducting the NOI Orchestra in the opening section of Richard Strauss's Alpine Symphony. You're listening to a performance given by an orchestra whose average age is about 22. It's really extraordinary. 
and we'll come back to this performance in a few minutes. During my visit to the National Orchestral Institute, I managed to corner a small group of the participants and speak to them about the NOI and about their careers. You'll find these young people are as skilled in their ability to communicate verbally as they are in their musical skills. And what emerges in this conversation is a common concern for the kind of education they're receiving and the difficult path just ahead of them and their overall assessment of the challenges they face in entering the highly competitive world of orchestral music. Okay, so please tell me your name and your instrument. My name is Sharon Tenenfeld, and I'm a violist. And where are you from? Miami, Florida. Tell me about your interest in the National Orchestral Institute. Why did you decide to audition to, and to come here? Um, I decided because at my school, I go to New England Conservatory, and at my school there isn't a very strong orchestra program or there isn't a large focus on orchestra. Um, and the teachers, the faculty, are primarily solo or chamber musicians, so they don't have a great, um, as much as experience in orchestra. So I thought I would come here and meet other faculty members that have professional careers in orchestra and learn from them. This seems to be a common thread among young, uh, young music students, performance students, who recognize that they have limited options in a solo or chamber career and, and are realistic about their professional aspirations. Do you sense that in many of the schools throughout North America that this focus on uh, solo repertoire is problematic? Um, to a certain extent, um, you can make a decent career as a chamber musician, but it's it's more self-fueled. Uh, um, you have to really propel it. Rather than in an orchestra, if you win a position, it's very stable. Um, so it's, it's quite nice. <laughs> um, but I think that it is a problem, I guess. Um, there also aren't as many jobs in an orchestra as one would like either. So, What instrument do you play? Viola. So... How many viola openings would there be in professional orchestras in the United States in any given year? Can you guess? Well, last year, there was maybe five, and that was extraordinary. So um, maybe on a normal basis, maybe three. It's a frightening prospect. Yes. <laughs> Everyone sitting here is nodding in agreement. <laughs> Your name is? Kate Manayan. Kate, what do you play? I play the double bass. So... Do you, some of your your colleagues here's concerns are echoed for you as well? Yes, definitely. <laughs> Agreed with everything she said. Okay. How many, you're a double bass player. How many double bass openings have there been this year in American orchestras? Mm, maybe four or five-ish. Are you considering taking an audition in the next year or two or three? Yes, hopefully, if I'm ready in like three years. Three okay, years. so... What do you fear about the audition process and what do you, I mean, what excites you about that whole process and what do you, absolutely makes you shiver and, and kind of melt into a little puddle on the floor? Well, I'm excited because there are no age limits for orchestra auditions and you can try your whole life and keep working hard and you have lots of opportunities and it makes me scared because I feel like you have to be perfect at every audition in order to win. Well, what is it exactly that auditions are a test of? Your playing and your ability to fit in with others. Yeah, that's an easy answer, but to go deeper. Um, your preparation, your hard work, your attention to details. So, what's the audition for the National Orchestral Institute 
uh, as grilling a, a prospect? Well, I don't know. I guess I didn't think of it like that because I felt it's just you know a summer festival, so. It so it was easier scary. for you to audition for a summer festival than than it would be to audition for a professional position, even though you might be playing the same music. Yes. Why would it be different? I'm not sure. I guess <laughs> I think the level. I mean, everyone's younger, and I don't know. Is it just that you feel like you would have to invest so much more into the idea of getting a job as opposed to just going to a short-term program? Yes, yes, definitely. Here's another nodding head. <laughs> Hi, my name is Kim Hain, and I play the violin. Where are you from, Kim? I am right now at Florida State in Tallahassee, Florida. And your reasons for applying to NOI? Um, well, this is actually my third summer, and it's, it's such a great like time for one it's just a lot of fun meeting all the people from different schools but um also it's just the amount of of intense study and the amount of like inside information we get here about orchestral playing is just so valuable to me that I don't get that at my normal school just because we're always in a rush to get the next show on and here we can just focus on just those tiny subtle details that really make the difference and it's so enriching to play a performance with like an extra level of depth into it with the professors that are here that help us with it. So that's my biggest reason. I improve so much every summer by coming here. It's amazing. It's like a, a full semester of school in like three weeks. That's a great comment about the program, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I, I've really enjoyed myself. When you talk about coaches coming in and giving secrets, what are the secrets about? Well, the biggest secret I learned this summer was from Jennifer Ross, principal second of the Pittsburgh Symphony. And we were, we were practicing excerpts for her, and she said, I, I, somebody made a mistake, and I said, is it true that you know, with like 100 violinists trying out for one position, that as soon as you make a mistake, that you're like, okay, thank you? you know? And she's like, no. She's like, that's absolutely 100% incorrect, and that is not at all what we are looking for, more about your, your rhythm, just like all the basics, like your rhythm and your sound. And if you make a mistake but everything else is good, going well, we're, we're, not, gonna, we're not gonna keep looking at that. And it was just and it, you know, all these myths that we hear about how to get that job and she's really it was just so interesting and nice to see her being like you know this is really what's important not playing absolutely every single thing you know because nobody's going to play it perfectly and it was just a great it was just all of a sudden I was like oh maybe I have a chance now you know because it's so rare that we actually play anything perfectly and it's always that's the standard and so I've always been freaked out about auditions because you know it's like I don't ever have a chance because I can't play this perfectly even you know in my practice room but she said you know there are just other things that are much more important I played a note perfectly once it was a D natural it was in 1982 in February I'm Amaris Carlson. I play the oboe. Where do you study? Um, I'm done with school right Yay. now. <laughs> but I'm living in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And you're looking for freelance work there? Yes. I played with the Civic Orchestra last year. And this year I'm going to be freelancing in the area. Well, that's a big undertaking. <laughs> so tell me about the whole concept of, of uh, taking on a career as an oboist in a big city. Um, it's very exciting. There's a lot of opportunity in Chicago. Um, there's a lot of new music going on, which I'm really interested in. And um, it's just great to meet a lot of new people when you go um, get done with school and you're finally in a big city and you're meeting other um, musicians and other wind players who are done with school and who are essentially trying to do the same thing. And it's really a valuable sort of resource to meet other people who are 
struggling with the same things and who get you know looking forward to the same things in the future. The program here at NOI involves, I believe, seven rehearsals for each orchestra concert. Yes. That is not typical in professional orchestras. No, <laughs> it's not. Do you all feel a little bit spoiled by having this extra rehearsal opportunity? Yes, it's really it's nice to have the extra rehearsals. It's also, um, you know, fit all within a span of a week to have these seven rehearsals for the concert, and so everything is um, very condensed as well. And it's nice. There's a little more focus on the music, and our ideas and interpretations can be worked over a little more thoroughly. Let's get back to the concerns that have been expressed about professional opportunities. Do you do you folks think that? In your studies, your teachers and your schools and, the, the, and all the organizations that you work for have, have been able to supply you with a realistic assessment of what symphonic music profession is, what, what the, what the realities, reality is. I think that um, my school orchestra program did not really help with that. We never talked about playing professionally or just... The behavior that you have when you play in an orchestra. Well, t- talk to me about that. What 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 do you get here in terms of? Are we talking about etiquette? Yeah, yeah. Expand upon that. Um, are we talking about not chewing gum and wearing sunglasses in front of a conductor, or are we talking about something more sophisticated? Well, both. I mean, just the basic things that people don't do in in our school orchestra. Like people, you know, are just kind of spacing out all the time and I don't know, just it's more relaxed and not like set professionally. And well I think also the issue with um the basic things like if you're a string player, your stand partner and your etiquette within your section, like you shouldn't comment if someone accidentally plays the wrong note. Um, you shouldn't correct them because um, it's just poor taste. Um, and also like the role of a inside or outside player on a stand and what you're supposed to do as far as turning pages um, and working with your principal and the conductor just what you're supposed to say and who you're supposed to go through. You can't just blatantly ask a question if you're all the way in the back of the section. You have to ask your principal and then they have to ask the conductor. Has there been somebody here during these uh, preparatory weeks that has actually given you talks about etiquette? Um... Let's see, I think there's been a little, I think through example, especially the first week, we had the the professionals sit in with us, and I think they really kind of showed us how, how to lead well and how to make comments to the to the group and in sectionals. I think more of that was, was just concentrating on playing as a section and, and different things like that um, and, and really bringing out certain colors and really tight, you know, bonds between each sound. Um, but yeah, I think that I was just going to make a comment on what you had said before. Um, the one thing I notice when I'm out in the real world, uh, which, you know, down in Florida, or I was in Colorado for a while, and I gig as much as possible. But what I notice is that it's not true. It's not a true revelation of what a professional orchestra would require because it's so easy to just kind of play sloppier or um, like 
because there are less advanced players, you kind of don't feel the same way. Here, the people are great, so when I'm playing with this orchestra, I become great because I have to and because everyone hears my notes out of tune and I can't hide behind other people and I don't want to because... But when you're working so hard other places for just little money, it's so easy to become like a, like a sloppy slacker musician. And so that's the only problem with me is when here it reminds me, always keep your standards really high even when you're playing just promo, just little gigs, because in order to get the job in a professional, you have to think like that, even when it doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not really the environment that I'm experiencing at school or at just small community orchestras. It's probably a universal truth, don't you think, that in any profession, in any undertaking, that if you're surrounded by a level of excellence, you rise to the occasion. Perhaps the difference in symphony orchestras is that the very definition of excellence is the highest level of the craft in the moment, in the concert. Going back to what I asked a couple of minutes ago about the preparation, that perhaps I should say the psychological preparation for the realities of the profession. I'm talking what, about what we touched upon a few minutes ago about how many openings there are for viola every year, how many openings there are for an oboist, or what are the freelance opportunities in Chicago. We live in a world where there are thousands of, of young uh, symphonic musicians in training in colleges and universities and limited opportunities. Do you feel that the, the, the math of the, of the reality of, of the situation is adequately, have you been adequately informed? I think so, because we hear of all the people that don't have jobs and are, keep, like, are keeping trying to do well and still are, don't have jobs, I guess. Have you given yourself a timeline or a kind of a horizon of expectation when you want to achieve something? Um, I used to think that I wanted to get a job within five years of when I started my master's degree, but I would never give up if I didn't get a job then. So no, Never give up. Yeah. Never, never give up. <laughs> in the, in the <laughs> right now? Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that I felt that I was really lucky with my teachers, both both as an undergraduate and graduate student, in that I think that they prepared me really well in terms of feeling comfortable with taking auditions. My um, undergraduate teacher, Linda Stroman, would always encourage us to tape ourselves. And I think the number one thing that she said that has um, mattered the most to me this year, being the first year out of school and not having teaching on a regular basis, going to lessons, she said, learn to be your own teacher. And I think that that is like the most valuable advice I got in like probably the six years I was in school because suddenly it's very much a shock not to have someone to come in every week and basically tell you what you need to improve on. You have to do that yourself in order to be fully prepared for these auditions. Everyone's nodding their head. Me too on that. I know I, I studied at Curtis many years ago, and my teacher was very much oriented towards that whole thinking that what you really want to do is create thinking, uh, thinking students who are self-analytical and self-aware. I was just going to make, on, on the contrary, um, I actually have been going to, I've been going to state schools for the most part, and I don't know if they're different at conservatories or not, but I think most people are really blind there, especially the undergrads, to what they're getting into because they don't, I mean, even even those of us who sacrifice so much of our lives to get there, we still have 
a, a lot of competition. And so I think for me, I've always been like, I wish, you know, it took me a lot longer to realize, okay, this is what I'm in for if I'm going to succeed at this. And I think a lot of people are, are you know, spending their education, you know, in music, it, which won't ever be like futile regardless of what they do. But I just don't think they always know how much it takes. I was going to say that, I mean, I go to a conservatory now and I, I went to NEC for my undergrad. And as far as orchestra preparation, I think it's a little, it can be very different for string players. Because I think the focus of wind and brass players is always, this is your career, it's orchestra and things like that. Um, so even for auditions for the schools, you have to play excerpts and you don't have to do that for a string player. Um, so for me, um, I went, I chose NEC as a school because I wanted to learn how to play the viola really well. And my teacher fit me really, like, it was great. But she's not an orchestral musician. So although she has played an orchestra in her life, it's just different. And so I'm trying now to figure out, now that I feel confident in how I can play in general, um, and I feel like I have a good handle on things, I need to figure out how to blend with people and how to play an orchestra. And maybe sometimes movement is an issue. Um, you can't be as free um, or as distracting in orchestra. So for me, I have to learn the other skills and how to prepare and, and be really clean. You're making a case for how incredibly vital this NOI experience is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, it's also, it's just really hard um, depending on what school you go to because some schools have a very good, strong orchestral program or have a lot of musicians. Like, um, for me, some of the wind faculty at my school, most of them actually teach uh, or are in the BSO. So that's a wonderful place to learn from those musicians. But the large amount of uh, string faculty at NEC are all soloists or chamber musicians. And so they're wonderful and, and great musicians, but they just never really played an orchestra. So they don't know the answers to, do I hold, do I count all of the rests, which I, if I have five bars rests, or just mundane things, what you do in an audition, it's different. Would it be a big hole in your life if you hadn't had National Orchestral Institute experience? Yes, I think so. This is my <laughs> second year here, and I um, was accepted to another festival that meets at this same time, but I chose to come back to this because it made a huge difference in how I thought about playing, and I just love coming to play with such a good orchestra and working with all the faculty. It's just great. Thank you all for your, for your mm -hmm. time. I really appreciate it, and I've admired your playing this week while I've heard you all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.
That was a conversation I had in late June with four young musicians from the National Orchestral Institute. Those of you who listened to my recent NACOcast about the Institute for Orchestral Studies here at Canada's National Arts Centre will recognize that all of these young musicians seem to share the same concerns. They hold in common a sense that the orchestral training that they receive in their home universities is often not enough to give them the confidence and skill to move to professional work, and they rely on the intensity of an excellent summer program for focused training in orchestral skills. Here in Canada, alumni of our own National Youth Orchestra frequently comment that the intense weeks of study they enjoyed at the NYO were equal to, and often far more valuable, than an entire year of work in their academic homes. The National Orchestral Institute operates year after year due to the ongoing generosity of its primary sponsor, the University of Maryland. This is indeed a remarkable commitment by an academic institution, and it allows the NOI's tiny administration to focus entirely on the needs of its students. I wish our own National Youth Orchestra in Canada had this kind of support, for it must struggle, like every other arts organization, to keep its head above water financially. It goes without saying that all of us who love classical music need to contribute to these vital organizations. But perhaps our most important contribution is just getting to a performance. Canada's National Youth Orchestra tours every summer in late July and early August. And I must say, if you are in the Washington, D.C. area next summer, do make the trip to the Clara Smith Performing Arts Centre at the University of Maryland and hear the National Orchestral Institute Orchestra. The level of playing and the passionate love of music demonstrated by these young musicians will move you. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of the NACOcast. I'm going to close this edition with more of that beautiful performance of the Alpine Symphony of Richard Strauss from the National Orchestral Institute Orchestra. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to nacocast at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting our new website at nacocast.ca. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Just search on NACOcast. For the National Arts Centre in Canada, this is Christopher Millard. Christopher Millard